So Ephesians chapter six, as we get into this part of ideal family, the power of a parent. Now last week, I said that marriage is God's ultimate discipleship program, and it is. Marriage is designed to kill you. It is designed to make you selfless and to make you care for your wife or your husband. And it takes work and it's not easy and you're gonna make mistakes and you're going to hate that process at times. But that's why at the altar we call them vows because a vow says I agree to do this regardless of how you feel about it or how I feel about it and I commit to it. And so marriage properly done is God's ultimate discipleship program to get you off of yourself and to get you thinking about other people. But here's the thing, just in case marriage doesn't work, God has a backup plan. And the backup plan is parenting. That if marriage doesn't kill you, kids will. And that's actually the natural order of life. Your kids will kill you and they will bury you, praise God. But it is another program in which we learn to deny ourselves. I know from myself, I was never more aware of my frailties, of my inconsistencies, of my temper, of my, my own problems inside my heart as when I became a parent. It is a life-changing experience. The moment that child comes home from the hospital and you care for them, you realize at that moment that you have to start thinking of someone other than yourself, and this happens for the rest of your life. Your marriage might end, but parenting goes on and on and on forever, and it is challenging. So we're gonna talk about it today because we believe that God has an answer for how to be a parent. Now, it's difficult. I heard a story about a woman who had her child in the grocery store, and many of you moms have been here been there, where the child was just screaming her head off in the carriage, throwing a world-class, one-of-a-kind temper tantrum and just embarrassing mom completely. And the woman is in the carriage looking at the daughter and she's saying, don't cry, Jennifer. Be calm, Jennifer. You can get through this, Jennifer. It's okay, Jennifer. Don't get upset, Jennifer. And an elderly man was watching this transpire and he was so impressed with the fact that she was keeping herself calm, cool, and collected in the face of that screaming child, that he had to address the mom. And so he went up to the woman and said, I am amazed that you are able to handle a chaotic situation with such care in how you address that child. And the woman said, no, 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 you don't understand. My name is Jennifer. <laughs> That's pretty much what it's like. You know, you gotta tell yourself, calm down. Okay, you know, get it together. Let's go to Ephesians chapter six, and we're gonna read uh, four short verses. I wanna ask you to stand for these four verses as we honor God's word, and let these verses speak to you. And amazing truths are gonna come out of these verses today, I believe, for your house and for your life. Verse one, Ephesians chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction 
of the Lord. I wanna read that verse one more time. We're gonna look at this verse all day. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that this word will become real to us, and we will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear you. Give us hearts that are receptive toward what you need to say to us. Challenge us, change us, transform us, renew us, and make us more like Jesus in all things. And for his glory, we ask this in his name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Four points for you about parenting that I believe come from this verse. Number one, if you're a parent in the house, you got to write this down. If you're not a parent, you got to write this down for a future reference. Parents must assume authority in the house. You have to assume authority. That's the key word. In every organization, in every group of people, there is somebody who is the leader. And let me tell you something, I have found this out in my own life and I have realized this as a parent and it's so true that authority is never, hardly ever assigned. Most times, authority is assumed. Somebody in the, group of the, in the group of people stands up and say, I will be in charge. I will take authority here. Now, parents, pay attention. Your children are born predisposed to believe that they are in charge. They are born assuming authority. We, when we had Jake, our oldest was 10 and our youngest at that time was seven. And then Jake came along and he was a baby and we were reminded about how much attention a baby requires and my wife bought him a little onesie and the onesie said, I run this house. That's so true. <laughs> because before he came along, everybody went their own way and, J and Jake showed up and we were like, oh, it's all about Jake now. And we were like all on what he needed and everything about that. And, and we kind of breathed this into them for the first four to five years of their lives that they are in charge, but that some point, at some point, you have to start assuming that you are the authority in that house. And I'm talking to you parents who don't do this, you are doing your children a disservice. Here's what Paul says, verse one. Let's look at it together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can we say these last four words together? One, two, three, four this is right. I looked up for this is right in the Greek and it's translated literally for this is right. In other words, you don't need an excuse to be a parent who has authority. Parents, you do not need their permission. You do not need their agreement. You do not need them to like you. Hello. In fact, if they like you, you're doing something wrong. You don't need them to appreciate you. You don't need them to be your friend. You need to be their parent. And parents, by nature, have the ability and the responsibility and the divine command from God that your children should obey you. And not because you buy them stuff. And not because you're super hip and super cool and know how to LOL and TTYL. And not because you're, um, you know, the cool parent of the neighborhood who lets their kids get away with it. No. You have a divine appointment from God to take charge in the home. Now, some of you parents have got to get over your guilt and still take authority because you've made mistakes. And we all make mistakes as parents. Let's all be honest, parents. The first child is practice. 
Am I right? I mean, you're making tons of mistakes, and some of you, you let your own past, make, you the, you, maybe you had the child out of wedlock, maybe you're divorced, whatever, and you're beating yourself up over all the things that you did wrong for that first child or that third child or whatever, and you never take authority because you're scared because you messed it up in the first place, and you need to stand in the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has forgiven you of your sins. You need to move on and still take authority. Forgive yourself and, and expect your children to obey you. This is your job. For this is right. Cheryl and I will be the first to tell you we make all kinds of mistakes with our kids. And I make mistakes all the time with them. I, and, 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 and here's the thing about making a mistake with a child. All you need to really do is you need to just go and apologize and be clear to the child that you blew it, that you lost your temper, that you went overboard, that you didn't do it right. You did deserve to be punished, but I did it excessively or I responded wrongly and I ask your forgiveness. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that. We're all gonna have to make those mistakes and learn the hard way. But it doesn't then dis disable us from taking authority in the house. It's still right to have and assume authority in your house. You should be commanding and demanding your children to do certain things. Cheryl is a great mom. She expects our children to do a lot of things. They are expected to empty the dishwasher. They are expected to pack the dishwasher. They are expected to clean. They are expected to wash up. They are expected to clean their own bedrooms. Parents, some of you need to resign as missionaries to the war zones up in their bedrooms. And they should be expected. And when Jake came along, we expected them to help out, change him, and feed him, and clothe him, and help him calm down. Jake has been the easiest child we've ever raised. Because they do a lot of the work. <laughs> but not all the work. But they, but they help, and they do, and we expect children obey your parents, for this is right. Here's why Paul says it's right. Let's look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. And then he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The promise is this, that your life is gonna go well with you, children, when you obey mom and dad. All the children in the house, pay attention. Your parents want what's best for you. The reason why they tell you to do certain things and not to do other things is because, believe it or not, they want you to succeed. And every child doesn't realize this, and every child thinks their parent knows nothing, and every child wants to rebel, and yes, you're gonna have to struggle with this as a parent, and yes, you're gonna have to fight them over this, and yes, you're gonna have to press in on a lot of issues that are hard and difficult and tender, and you're gonna have to continue to push the issue with your children in several different areas, but don't give up. If they obey and if they learn to honor you, it will go well with them. And what God says is this, parents, you are the key ingredient to your child's success. You gotta believe that. Most parents, this is why it says it'll go well with you, because the lion's share of parents, 99.7% of parents do not want their children to die, okay? <laughs> Most parents want them to live. And here's the thing, 
Parent relationship is totally different than every other relationship. In every other relationship, you will have jealousy, you will have bitterness, you will have envy almost all the time. But when it comes to parents, here's the thing about parents. Parents always want their children, the lion's share, always want their children to do better than them. They want their children to have more money than them, more success than them, more friends than them, better career than them. All parents, it comes instinctively. We never get jealous, normal parents anyway, never get jealous of their kids. They want their kids to go well, to live long and prosper in life. And that's why, parents, you assume authority. You don't ask for it. You don't hope for it. You don't ask if it's okay for them to lead them. No, you just do it because you are the parent. Amen, somebody. You're very quiet this morning. I'm worried, but I'm hoping I'm getting across to you. Point number two, parents must engage or the child will rage. Parents, you must engage with your children or they will rage in life. What do I mean by that? Let me show you. Paul says in verse four, let's put it up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, and that's a huge word in this verse, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, first, what Paul is not saying. Here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, don't get your kids angry, because that is impossible. The moment that you say no when they want to say yes, they're going to get angry. The moment that you tell them that you're going to abide by the word of God and not allow them to do certain things that their friends are doing, they're going to get angry. The moment that you say to them, this Christmas we're spending less on you because we're putting God first financially as pastor preached a couple of weeks ago and there is no PlayStation 4 for you, they are going to be angry. They are not going to like that moment and you're gonna have to be okay with that. So this verse is not saying don't make them angry angry. That's impossible. It is saying, don't provoke them to anger. Don't do the things that are going to lead them to become angry in life. And I believe that you have to look at the second part of the verse to understand the first part of the verse. The first part of the verse is don't let them get it. Don't make them become angry people. But, so it's not just a don't, it's also a do. And here's the do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you don't do this, Paul says, this will happen. If you don't bring them up, discipline, and instruct them, they will be provoked in life to anger. And I believe there are four kinds of kids that grow up to become angry people. Four kinds of kids that grow up to become angry people. Number one, an unloved child grows up to become angry. Number two, an undisciplined child. Children need discipline and boundaries. Number three, an over-disciplined child becomes angry in life. And number four, an untrained child becomes angry in life. So I believe there are three things we gotta do as parents, and I'm gonna look at them, A, B, and C in your notes. Ready? Num letter A, cherish your child. Paul says bring them up. The Greek word could be translated tenderly and fondly cherish them. This is not just bring them up, not just raise them, it's love them. Parents, you need to love your kids and show them affection. Shower them with affection. Hug them, kiss them, smother them. Do it so that it bothers them. And I'm especially talking to you dads. Dads, it is not manly and it is not macho to not hug and kiss your children. 
hug them, kiss them, love them, smooch them, embarrass them in front of their friends, do the whole thing. I encourage you, God bless you, go. I love on my children, I hug them, I squeeze the snot out of them, I make sure that they get a kiss, I want them to be smothered in my love. That is being a good parent. They gotta know that physical attention came mostly from home so that they don't have to find it outside of the home. Do it, cherish them, and they will love you for it. Uh, of course, when they get older, you're going to have to change the rules there a little bit, you know, kissing the cheek or whatever, or when they get real old, maybe a handshake or whatever. But don't be afraid to hug them and smother them with love. And that whole thing when they go, I don't want you to do this, that's just an act. That's just an act. Just squeeze them even harder. Amen. All right, B, letter B, discipline your child. He says you got to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. The word discipline here in Ephesians 6 4 can also be translated punish them. You gotta punish them. Now, punishing a child is the hardest thing. <laughs> and nobody trains you how to do this. It's an amazing thing about life, right? You buy a television set and, from Best Buy and you'll get a manual this thick for a television set. You go to the hospital and you bring forth a human being and they kick you out the door and say, Best of luck. No manual. No, no idea about what to do. It's an overwhelming experience, but here's what you do have to do. You've got to create boundaries for your child or they will grow up angry. Discipline is punishment and punishment is essential. I want you to write this equation down in your notes. Discipline equals love. Discipline equals love. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines the one he, say it with me, loves. Discipline equals love. And God is treating you when he disciplines you, when he punishes you, when he starts to put pressure on you and consequences on you for your wrong behavior. He's treating you as his child. God is a master of discipline. Actually, if you wanna look at how to discipline your children, look at God, because God is a father. And there are three things that God does in the Old Testament with his children that we can adopt into parenting today. Okay, three things that he does. If you look at the, the, the narrative of Scripture in the Old Testament. First, God tells them the rules. God never punishes without first telling the rules. And so he rescues Israel out of Egypt. He brings them to the desert. He go, Moses goes up on the mountain, comes down from the mountain, and he has the rules, the Ten Commandments. And God says, you gotta do this. Here's the rules. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And that's the rules. And then, number two, you tell them the rules, you have to tell them the consequences. If you don't do this, this will happen. If you don't clean your room, this will happen. If you do this, I will take this away. If you have, if you, and so you, you're not just telling them what not to do, you're also telling them what will happen if they do it. And that's exactly what God does in the book of Deuteronomy. The whole book of Deuteronomy is God saying, do this, if you don't do this, I'm gonna give you away. If you, I'm gonna give you into foreign nations. I'm gonna punish you. I'm gonna bring uh, play, pain and and plagues on you. And if you disobey, this is the covenant agreement that we are making. I'll bless you for obedience and I will punish you for disobedience. And the third thing that God does, the third thing, he doesn't just tell them the rules, he doesn't just tell them the consequences, but number three, he follows through with the punishment. Here's where a lot of parents are missing it. You gotta stop whiffing on the punishment. You gotta stop faking it. 
follow through with what you said. And that's what God does. Israel disobeys and God sends them prophets and says, I told you something bad's gonna happen and they still disobey and God sends them off into exile for 70 years. That was the book of Daniel. We talked about that a couple months ago. That's what God does. So tell them the rules, explain the consequences and then follow through with the punishment. And the Bible has plenty of scriptures to back this up in the book of Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs 29 verse 15 says this, the rod and reproof Give, what's the word? Wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Notice the Bible says you don't impart wisdom without discipline. You want wise kids? You got discipline. Another verse. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is, what's that word? Diligent to discipline him. This is the thing about punishing kids. It takes diligence. This is what's gonna happen. I guarantee you. All the people who aren't parents yet, I guarantee you. You think it's gonna go well with you? Pay attention. Okay? You're gonna tell them not to do it? They're still gonna do it. You're gonna tell them not to do it again? They're gonna do it again. You're gonna tell them not to do it again? They're gonna do it again. You can tell them, beg them, plead with them, pray for them, anoint them with oil, whatever. They're still gonna do it. And it's up to you then to follow through with the punishment because here's what it says. If you don't, you're hating your son, you're letting him be in his own life and left it, leaving him to himself. But if you love him, you're gonna follow through. And here's the thing about work. Um, here's the thing about diligence with discipline. It takes work and it is exhausting. And there are gonna be times where you're tired and all you really wanna do is just say, just go burn the house down, I don't care. I wanna watch television. And that's where you're gonna have to be diligent to discipline. This is what God does. This is what God does. God disciplines the ones he loves. Another verse from the book of Proverbs, 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I love that. What the Bible is saying right there is, your child is a fool. <laughs> Don't call my Johnny a fool. I didn't call Johnny a fool. God did. God said he's full of folly, all right? But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. You can't reason with a fool. There's a new modern parenting technique, reasoning with the child, getting down on their level. Johnny, maybe we don't want to hit our sister with a nine iron. Don't you think that that might hurt her? Man, you can't do that. You just got to come across and say, hey, Johnny, meet the nine iron yourself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. No, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> he says the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The word rod is the shepherd's rod. And the thing that the rod, the, the shepherd used the rod for was not just disciplining the sheep. He actually measured, it was, a, it was a measuring stick. They would count their flocks by rods. And so the rod of the shepherd was also a measure. And you could replace that word with, that, with the word measure. But the measure of discipline drives it far from him. In other words, the punishment, parents, should fit the crime. Not everything has to be an explosive event. Not everything has to be off the charts. Not everything has to be a month and a half grounding. You gotta make it fit what they did, and that's exactly what God does with us. 
You're going to have to follow through. You're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to make sure that you explain the consequences and follow through. And yes, you are still going to make mistakes. We all do. But it doesn't then eliminate your ability to take authority and take charge in the house. Another verse of scripture. It says this, discipline your son. In Proverbs 29, verse 17. And he will give you what? Rest. All right? It's a lot of work. But after the work comes rest. And when they're young, if you bear down on them then, if you bear down on them, you know, just at the right pressure and at the right amount, eventually it'll give you rest. Now, when it comes to the measurement, you can't, you got to be careful to not over-discipline your child. I was, I was, um, friends, my, my family was friends with another family, and I was so mortified by this father, he would use his belt on his children to spank them. And he would do it in front of us. And we would hear his kids screaming for their lives as they got that belt. And it was mortifying to me. I would go home and I would get in my bed late at night and I would say, thank you, God, that I am not that guy's child. You gotta have the proper measurement. You gotta follow through. You gotta put the work in. And once you put the work in, rest comes. Once you put the work in, delight comes from the child. But don't ever expect your child to give you rest and give you delight if you're abdicating your responsibility to punish and discipline your child. Amen, somebody. Uh, Letter C on your notes. Teach your child. So you cherish your child, you punish your child, and then you admonish your child. All issues, okay? Admonish them. Teach them in the instruction of the Lord. Not just what the schools teach them, not just their ABCs and one, two, threes. You have a responsibility, parents, to teach them about Jesus. Not just obeying Jesus, you teach them what Jesus did for them. That Jesus didn't just teach them what to do. Jesus died their death, paid their penalty, and made a way for them to have a relationship with the Father. That church is not just obey the rules and be a good person. Church is coming to thank Jesus for what he did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross, and we love him for it. Instruct that. That, by the way, is what the Bible says is your job. Now, our children's ministry will help you, but it is not the primary responsibility of our children's ministry to do it. It is the primary responsibility of, children, of parents to teach their children. you got to treat the kids' ministry at Waters Church like a supplemental vitamin. Okay? You give them the meal, we'll give them the vitamin B shot, and we'll partner together to help raise godly children. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me just explain something. One of the biggest fallacies about this verse that many Christians believe is that this verse is saying, if I go to church, my children will go to church. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you do the work to train them, if you do the work to teach them how to live, what's right, what's wrong, those things, when they are old, it will not leave them. And it might not be salvation. Salvation is in God's hands, and you can pray for them and tell them about Jesus and love them, and they still might not receive Jesus under your care. And all you can do is pray for them and pray for them and pray for them and pray for them. 
all right? But you can train them and let training how to respond to difficulty, how to respond to life, how to get an education, how to live, how to take care of yourself. That will never leave them. Let's be honest. Some of us, we have these OCD characteristics in our mind. They come from our mom. They come from our dad. Dad always did this. Mom always did that. And I just picked it up, and I'm doing it too. And that's what this verse is saying. you got to train them. you got to teach them in the way that they should go. Now, there are two extremes to parenting. Two extremes. One extreme is all you're doing is disciplining. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Don't, 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 don't. Punish, 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 punish. And that's an extreme. You also have to teach them. And the other extreme is just teaching and demolishing and counseling and helping and, and just doing that. And both are an extreme. And the Bible is very clear. You got to do both. This is what Paul says. In the discipline and instruction. They got to go together. You got to teach them what's right and punish what's wrong together constantly to raise children in the Lord. Amen. Number three point on your notes. Fathers must take the lead. Fathers, Paul is looking at you. And it's up to you dads, believe it or not, to make and help those kids become godly, strong, independent people in Jesus Christ. Look at the verse again, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children. I'm, I'm, I was asking myself all week, why doesn't he say fathers and mothers? Why doesn't he say mom and, or parents, don't provoke your children? He actually just leaves it as fathers. What's the reason? Here's the reason. Paul knows what God knows, and the Holy Spirit is instructing him to write this because God knows that fatherhood is key to successful parenting. Fatherhood is key to successful parenting. If you look at the, at the last hundred years or so of our country, it's, it's, it's so clear how fatherhood has come under attack. In the first part of the 20th century, we had the Industrial Revolution. And before the Industrial Revolution, mom and dad worked at home together and worked in town together, and they raised the kids together. And then the Industrial Revolution came, and dad went into the city for 10 hours a day and came home, and mom raised the kids. And fatherhood became a separate entity. And then when the World Wars happened and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and the draft happened, fathers were taken out of the house, not just out of the house, they were taken out of the country, and fatherhood came, out of, came under attack again. And then with this new, not, not, not new, but this, this uh, country in which we live where we have no-fault divorce and divorce is happening like crazy, it's usually mom that gets the kids and fathers are taken out of the house and fathers are taken out of the picture. And then today, even on your TVs, even today, right now, you look on television and when you watch a family comedy, watch what happens. Watch. The village idiot of every single house is the father. I think it's disgusting. I think, I think if you're watching shows that depict dad as a guy who can't even get himself together and looks like a moron and most of the jokes are about how out of touch and out of sync and out of control he is, you need to cut that show off and say, in our house, we're not gonna listen to that. We're gonna honor fathers. We're gonna honor mothers that it might go well with us. This is God's way, not the world's way. We need to do this. I'm passionate about men being men of God and not being uh, taken away or, or divided from the children. Now, there has been a preponderance of evidence that has suggested how vital fathers are, fathers are, 
to their children's welfare. I saw this headline in a UK newspaper just a few days ago. Here was the headline. Growing up without a father can permanently alter the brain. Fatherless children are more likely to grow up angry and turn to drugs. This is what he's saying. Fathers, you have the ability to keep your children from anger. Isn't it amazing how science and research keeps proving what the Bible has said for 2,000 years? I've read a bunch of statistics, and they're bothersome, but I'm going to share them with you. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists and, and guys with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 70% of youth in detention centers today come from fatherless homes. 85% of every prisoner, of all the prisoners in this country, 85% of them come from fatherless homes. And there is an attack of the enemy, in this country especially, against fathers. And we need to say enough is enough in our home. And dads, you may have come from a bad relationship with your father. You may have come from a guy who was stone drunk half the time and you didn't have a great father, but it can start with you. You can be the one who turns the tide of your generational line and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe this is essential in the home. God honors fatherhood. It's, it's, it's no wonder that even before Paul writes this, 400 years before Paul writes this, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6 says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn, look at what he's doing. He'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Here's what God is saying in this verse. When fathers are disrespected and fatherhood becomes an optional characteristic of a society, here's what God is saying, that the land, the land is fit for nothing more. We gotta honor this. We gotta believe in our young men at this church, which is, by the way, why we are radically committed to reaching out to young men in this church. God believes in fatherhood. And do you know why God believes in fatherhood? It's very simple. This is the easiest question of the whole day because God is a father. He loves fatherhood, and Satan hates fatherhood. And I think there are two social institutions that Satan hates most of all, marriage and fatherhood. He hates them because God is for marriage and God is a father. Now, if the statistics are right, I'm talking to 40% of you who did not have dad at home. If, that's, if, if the statistics are right. And I want to say this to everybody in this room, but especially to you people who did not have a great dad. Point number four in your notes is that God longs to be your father. Longs to be your father. God wants to be the figure that you may not have had in your home. And he wants to shower you with his affection, and he wants to shower you with his grace, and he wants to shower you with his, uh, with his acceptance. But you're going to have to turn to him. See, here's what Jesus is. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago as God's adoption price 
for you. He paid your price. And he sent his firstborn son to die so that you could become his secondborn children and he could adopt you into his family. God longs to be your father. And I don't think we get it. I don't, I don't think that most of us understand this. I think that we understand that God loves us. I think that God, we understand that God, you know, wants us to be better people. I think that some of you come and you say, well, God's probably angry at me. I had a bad life or I did a lot of things. And, and you come with that preconception, but I think that you miss the most important, most, effect, most talked about quality of God in all the Bible, that God is a loving, heavenly Father who longs to have relationship with you more than you do with him. More than you do with him. The other day I came home from, from work and, and uh, I, I walk in the, in the house and the kids are playing and Jake's watching some television or whatever and he's playing in the living room. And I walk into the kitchen and, and uh, I, I do this to go and, and say to Cheryl, what can I do to help? Amen from last week. Um, and uh, Jake walks in to the kitchen, my little two-year-old son. And he goes, Dada. And I'm like, oh, he said, Dada. He wants to spend time. And I said, what, Jake, you want, you want Dada? And he goes, Dada. I'm like, oh, man, I'm starting to well up with this love for him. And I'm about to hug him and kiss him and squeeze the snot out of him. And my wife breaks the bad news to me. And she says, I got news for you. He doesn't want Dada. He's been saying Dora for the last hour. <laughs> he wanted Dora the Explorer. Which, by the way, only rhymes if you're from Boston, Massachusetts. And I was so mad. I'm like, I was just about to love you and squeeze you and hug you and kiss you. Go turn around yourself. Get, get away from me. You know, I'm like, I said, I'm done. But I wanted him. I wanted him. And the moment that he called out to me, it melted my heart. And it made me want him even more. And I was ready to just wrap him up. And I want to say to everybody in this house, that's exactly how God the Father sees you. He's not angry at you. He loves you. And he hates sin because he knows how destructive it is toward you. But ultimately, your father in heaven, God, wants you to turn to him and say, Dada. In the book of Romans chapter 8, Paul says that God's given us the spirit. And the spirit says, it turns to God and cries and it says, Abba, Abba, Father. And the word Abba in Aramaic is the word for Daddy. God the Father wants to be that kind of intimate relationship with you. He wants you to be his, wants to be your heavenly dad. And maybe you came from a horrible father. Maybe you came, it's not, father is not an emotionally neutral word today. Maybe you came from a horrible relationship with your dad. I got good news for you. Jesus went to the cross, paid the price for God the Father to adopt you. Would you stand with me? So Father, I pray that these won't just be words that we hear, but they will be truths that we receive. And that for every person in this room today, your spirit will seal this truth in their hearts. That you love them. That you love them that you love them. I pray 
for people who are hurting because of what they grew up with. I pray that the love of God will begin healing them. And I pray for fathers and young men in this house and older fathers and every house of this church. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ sustain them and empower them to be like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.